The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at LJA.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical firsthand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the thedunesciencegroup.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast, coming to you from Charleston, South Carolina, and the Social Coast Forum 2020. I'm Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Well, one of the great things about being here and why it's important that we arrive in person is we get to meet fantastic people who are attending this event. And I have to say, we're kicking off our coverage with... I think the best guest at the conference, this is Nicole LaBeouf, who is the acting administrator of the National Ocean Service at NOAA. Welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast, Nicole. Hello. Well, Nicole, it's great to have you here, and it was great to catch your kickoff remarks this morning, and we just recorded our kickoff show uh, to kind of introduce our audience to the general vibe here and what's happening at the Social Coast Forum. And I got to say, you got me in a real can-do state of mind, which I'm super stoked on, because one of the things we talked about in the kickoff is that, uh, you know, you were talking about the word existential, and there's like these, you know, there there is this this fear of the unknown, what is coming our way, but on the other side of the scale, on the other hand, we have the optimism and just general opportunity of tomorrow. And tell tell our audience a little a little bit. They were most of them will not have heard your introduction. Tell us a little bit about what you were saying there. Well, you're absolutely right in terms of the can-do attitude because the challenges facing us uh, throughout the coasts are daunting. And any individual um, circumstance or data set can really get your mind spinning into there's nothing I can do about this or I don't know how to make it better. Um, But having grown up along the coasts, uh, I know how important it is to uh, have a sense of place and a sense of community and how much that can buoy you and sort of move you through those times when you feel a little bit overwhelmed. Um, Being overwhelmed, quite frankly, is not an option for me at the head of the nation's premier coastal and ocean agency. And so I have really tried to examine what it is that we're doing, what we're doing well, and uh, what we can bring to bear to this 
really big challenge. I did use the word existential. I had to practice pronouncing it for a while because it was, <laughs> it was a word that, of course, it was in my vocabulary, but it was nothing I ever used up until the last year or so of my life. And um, I do believe that um, we have an opportunity to really move the needle um, with um, so many ways of collecting data and delivering data, um, but also something that is unique uh, to the National Ocean Service throughout NOAA and much of the federal government is that we work in very close partnership with academia and uh, state agencies and coastal communities. And so the people on the ground that not only have a much better sense of what's happening and what the concerns are, where the limitations are, but that have a much better idea of how to deliver information that can really change people's minds and help them understand that it's not just the boogeyman, you know, that it is something that's really big and hard to, to hard to face. Um, but uh, we want to use those partnerships and use all those workforce multipliers in the communities to get out there and translate that message. And if and if NOAA and, and NOS is delivering data in a way that, as I said this morning, is accurate but just scary and not actionable, mm-hmm. then that's on us to change the way we're delivering that message. I don't want to scare people. I want to get their attention, but I want to turn them directly toward what they can do in Action. their own communities. Yeah. Well, that collaboration aspect came really strongly through your opening remarks, Nicole. And uh, as the acting administrator of NOS, a couple of things I wanted to touch on is you grew up on the coast, so you were a coastal kid. I'd like to hear a little bit about your experiences growing up and what, what was meaningful about being a kid who grew up on the coast. And a little bit more about uh, the National Ocean Service. Two things I'd love if you could touch on those. Sure, absolutely. I grew up in Lake Jackson, Texas. Um, not directly on the coast, but coastal enough. And I grew up, my last name is LaBeouf. I grew up Cajun. And what that means is if it didn't swim fast enough or run fast enough, it was probably for dinner. And so <laughs> for, for for real. So yeah, um, I grew up hunting and fishing and crabbing, but also bird watching and picking up trash. And so did you jig for flounder? Sure gig. Gig. gig, excuse gig me. Is gigging flounder gigging. Flounder. Yeah. Flounder gigging. I and also did, you, s- did you gig for frogs? I've never gigged for frogs. Okay. I do enjoy frog legs, but I've never actually been gigging. <laughs> just for thought frogs. I'd ask. Just yeah, thought I'd right. ask. Provencal, right. let's say. The French. The frog Provencal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, my uh, surname is uh, French. Um, I grew up uh, with a strong tide in southern Louisiana. And St. Mary's Parish um, is where, as we say, my father's people have been for hundreds of years uh, since the exile. And so um, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so really uh, a lot of change happening in Louisiana that um, is it tugs at my own heartstrings right. to see how coastal communities are changing and the land beneath them is, is, is coming out. And so, you know, rather than painting it as the boogeyman, um, what we really try and do at the National Ocean Service is provide information, but also tools and decision support uh, mechanisms so that coastal communities can make decisions. And we do a lot of work with coastal management practitioners. So we train the trainers. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important for our role. Coastal states don't necessarily have the capacity to do this work. And so we provide uh, r- uh, financial resources, but also a lot of training resources and risk communication training and that kind of thing right. to help them put these things in perspective. But the Ocean Service is funny. Speaking of Louisiana, I was um, having a conversation not too many months ago with Lieutenant Governor of Louisiana, Billy Nungesser. And he said, you know what? 
I think of NOS as the Swiss Army knife of the federal government. And I thought that was brilliant. So, Billy, Billy, I'm going to use that again because we do so many different things across the National Ocean Service that – um, it has, for the life of the Ocean Service, which its its predecessor began in 1708 when Thomas Jefferson founded the Survey of the Coast to begin the development of our nautical charts. Mm. So we're the oldest, some people say the oldest science agency in the United States. That's, but if, that's cool. How cool is that, right? That's very so cool. cool. We've evolved over time, of course, and now we don't just develop nautical charts Um, But we are measuring subsidence and elevation. We clean up oil spills and marine debris. Um, We administer the National Marine Sanctuaries and the National Marine Monuments. We do so many different things. Mm -hmm. I think it's been a challenge for previous assistant administrators to knit it together into a cohesive agency. It's a big portfolio. It's a big portfolio. It's the most diverse within NOAA, but... For better or worse, I think coastal resilience and sea level rise is that issue because just as much as coastal zone managers are asking, what do we do? So are our port authorities, right? And so are the coral reef restoration people. And so are everybody that's concerned about the coast. So, Well, what I liked about, and I think we have a lot of local government listeners out there, uh, city managers and mayors and planning directors and uh, council members and all of that. And uh, I think... The, the the way I understand it is the NOS and NOAA and the ocean uh, the ocean uh, divisions are resources for local decision makers who are facing a tough problem. You guys are not regulators. There's not permits. There's not rules to be done in general, if I can generalize. But it's, a, as you said, a bank of expertise that is very high-level information that no state can afford to have run the satellite systems and the survey systems and all of this incredible science that you guys make available to the public. Um, so that collaborative notion seems to be a bedrock to the approach of facing climate change. Why is that important for you as the, as the, as, at the director, at the administrator level? There's absolutely no way that even one sector of our economy is going to be able to face this alone. And uh, I think that what we've never seen before, like climate change and coastal resilience, will bring is multidisciplinary solutions. Uh, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you for example, uh, we're looking for anyone with interests in the impacts of sea level rise and coastal hazards. Mm-hmm. And, and as I mentioned in my opening this morning, that includes the reinsurance industry, that includes home builders associations, that includes mental health professionals. I am getting accustomed not only to using the word existential, but I'm beginning to get accustomed to picking up the phone and cold calling people mm-hmm. within the beltway, so other parts of the federal family and other industries, and just introducing myself and saying, here's what we do. You don't know me, but we're about to be friends. Yeah. Because they have interests in the outcomes. Fantastic. Right? Yeah. They don't they don't know us. They may not know what we do yet. But when I say, here's what we're what's going down in the coast, they get it and they're like, "Oh, so we should get to know one another." And that's right. that's a that's a game changer that we've not had before. You know, uh, I want to circle back to this uh, notion of the Swiss Army knife. And um, what the ways that uh, our conception of you were talking about how the uh, NOAA Ocean Service, that's correct, is um, 
uh, such a diverse suite of of services and uh, expertise. There's coastal science. There's the National Marine Sanctuary. There's all all this whole long list of expertise and specializations all under one roof. And one of the things that I think is becoming clear here at the Social Coast Forum is that maybe the glue that holds all of these things together, you know, we can talk about it in terms of the economy, we can talk about it in terms of geography, but our society really holds us together. And as we confront climate change and sea level rise in a, you know, very, uh, this is not like a realization kind of, we're just dealing with what's happening around us. Um, it seems as though we are reevaluating the way that we, you know, the way that we view, for example, specialization. One of the things that we talk a lot about is siloization, how we've become, we don't communicate with each other well. How do we communicate better? How do we create common language? And I'm just curious, you're, you're leading, um, you're, you're a leader in this uh, program. How do you connect these, you know, quite different groups within your own department? So we at NOS are trying to walk the walk internally um, within our own organization, within NOAA, and then with, again, the federal family and our partners. By what I've, what I've said to our team is I, wanna, I want us to look ahead and identify what our superpowers are and what we think our role should be and shouldn't be moving forward in consultation with our partners. But then... Once we've done that identification and those interests are clear in our minds, be articulate about it. Be sharp about it, what we're going to do and not do. And this is a huge challenge for a federal agency that may be doing a thousand different points of fantastic things, but we have finite resources and growing demand signal on our tools and services. So what do we do? What do we do well? What is it really us for us to do? And then articulate that so that we are clear and build out that capacity and fight for that seat at the table and that identity as hard as we can possibly do and then be articulate on the margins of that. Hmm. So I can pick up the phone to NIH or whoever that is and say who I am, what I do, what I don't do, and then that articulation at the margins is to say, I'm getting some mental health signals that you need to be aware of because I understand what you do. Hmm. And then explore that so that I'm not going to take over the world and do everything, right? But I can cold call FEMA or HUD or somebody and say, this is what we do. This is what you do. We need to have a clearer conversation about that so that the handoffs are transparent and they're, uh, they're, they're efficient, so that we're not stumbling around saying, well, wait, they're doing resilience, we're doing resilience, we're all doing resilience. What is, what? We need to get really crisp at that because the changes are accelerating and we don't have time to step on each other and to have turf battles and to all this. Yeah. You know, It's really, in my mind, about saying, I'm going in this direction. You can go with me or you can go someplace else, but I'm not going to stop somebody else from doing what's in their zone. Um, and their area of expertise. But I think being really articulate and, and good at those handoffs and attribution is going to be critical to building um, not just silos of excellence, as we sometimes like to joke about, mm-hmm. but, um, but areas of expertise that, that may or may not overlap with those of others. Ooh-wee. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big challenge at, because government agencies and programs are, 
are pretty structured. They can be pretty rigid. And what we're talking about here is the challenge of climate change requiring us to step up to a new level of engagement with the public and within the government instruments available to act here. It sounds like a like a very is that how would you describe the vision if you were looking down the road and this worked out the way you hoped? What would what would NOS's role and collaborative relationships look like to you? NOS would be the authoritative source of data and information for the the data and tools that we are expert at. Okay. We would be the, that is where you go. Great. I want to be in everyone's Rolodex for those things. Right. Common factual information. Thank you. That's right. Necess- Non-regulatory. Necessary. Yeah. You know, uh, long data sets, accurate data sets. Um, but I also believe that because NOS has such a diverse portfolio and so many partners on the ground, hearing things, seeing things, we can be a convener for the federal government hmm. because I, I'm getting invited to meetings with with private sector and industry and academia and I'm the only fed there huh. and I'm asking what's up with that respectfully thank you for inviting me but where's right. everybody else yeah well they're so big and they have mixed track records and NOAA is seen as an honest broker NOAA yeah. is seen as the people who bring our tornado warnings and our storm surge warnings and now sea level rise data and I will fiercely defend that reputation if that means I will have an invitation to the table. Got it. And then I can say, why don't you let me call FEMA, right? Because we have those relationships. But I think it's easier for us to do. So I would say authoritative, but a leader, a thought leader, and a convener. Ne- necessary. The challenges are getting bigger. And I think in your opening remarks, uh, I wanted to... Just repeat for the listeners out there a couple of the statistics that you threw out about why this matters that we are good at this. And when I say responding to the threat of climate change, uh, two-thirds of Americans visit the coast every year as a population number. 70%, 76% of all the trade in uh, America has a maritime component at one point in the transaction. And this was a mind-blower. The coastal counties, if they were gathered together, would have the third largest GDP in the world. Now, man, I, I know we use our coastlines. I know it's an economic powerhouse, but that's an amazing statistic. It is. And more and more Americans are moving to the coasts as the conditions change. Yeah. And so one of the other statistics I used today was on 10% of our land mass, we have over 40% of our population. So the pressures coming down on the coastal resources and the ability to ha- use the coastal zone for multiple things is just getting more complex. So here we are at the Social Coast Forum. Tell me how this fits into the general suite of what you're overseeing at NOAA. So when we talk in terms of coastal zone management, ecosystem management, fisheries management, right, we're not managing those things. We're managing the people that make the decisions to engage in those things. 100%. Yeah. And so when I learned that there is a social coast forum and that it's a bunch of practitioners and experts in the human mind and how we perceive information and how we make decisions, I just said, I got to be there and talk to these people. And and let them know that they're supported. Let them know that we get them. I think sometimes my sense, I'm a biologist for, by training, but I think social scientists often feel like they get forgotten a little bit. Right. They're not a hard science. You know, kind of true up to now, but right? we need them now. We need them now more than ever. Yeah. 
right? So yeah, I'm very excited to be here and, and get to know the group, but also let them know that from the top of the organization, I value what they do. It, I think it's I think it's so well said and unavoidable. Coastal management is human management, which means the skill sets necessary are far beyond the data accuracy of the science. I mean, that must be there. But the execution of this adaptation is so much about how do you convey the sense of risk without paralyzing people with fear? It's not about despair. It's about let's be smart. Let's take good steps. And and in your remarks, talking about the the game field of this is the entire coastal economy, which is real estate and shipping and fisheries and tourism. And it's all of this has to be thought out and it. It, it demands collaboration, it seems. Like, you really can't do this unless you get into the human community and you get people to the table. It's a big job. Well, and you know, when I when I go to meetings like this and I travel around, I meet pockets of people that are really doing it right, you know, for what that means to them, right? So, for example, in San Diego, the port and the Navy and Scripps Institute of Oceanography and others have really odd bedfellows, right? They have said, you know what? We're not leaving. Where are we going to go? We're San Diego. Right. We're staying. So what does that look like? They lock arms. They share information. They decide that they are going to be advocates for one another because it's going to get really hard. And that's cool. That's a big scale, sophisticated. But, you know, there are folks in Louisiana that are doing something also really, really innovative. There, um, There's a group and uh, their uh, directors here this week um, called Foundation for Louisiana, and they are working with communities out on the bird foot and not going in and telling them the seas are rising and you got to move and all that stuff because that doesn't work anywhere, especially yeah, not in Louisiana. They've heard it for years. And they've heard it for years, right? And, and so what they've done is they have um, gone into these communities and said, who wants to be the ambassador of this information? Who is respected in the community? Is it um, a, a faith-based leader? Is it the dog catcher? Is it the mayor? Is it a school teacher? Whoever that is. And those are the people that are helping to convey the latest information about risk to their communities so that they can make choices and that they can really come to grips with what's going on, not being told by the federal agency or even a state agency or an outside group that doesn't look like them or talk like them, but their own people and their own community, that's powerful. Um, and so seeing that kind of thing blossoming in different places, you know, uh, another phenomena we're seeing are resilience officers. Right. But it's uneven treatment. There might be a state resilience officer, or a county resilience no. officer, or a city resilience. So, how do we form community of resilience officers? Right. Yeah. State of Florida. Yeah. Just state, statewide just resiliency officer right. for the first time. Uh, Pinellas County, the Tampa Bay region, huge effort of collaborative resiliency planning going on. I think Florida is where I'm watching to see the most advanced. Really, Louisiana. Totally. You've done an incredible job in the, the CPRA, the Coastal Protection mm-hmm. Restoration Authority, planning process, understanding those risks, blending of the academic, the science, the engineering, and the community. I, I think Louisiana is a leading state, as is Florida. And it's the states that are feeling the pressure first. So, you know, we're from Texas. You grew up on the Texas coast. We're not, we're, we're moving ahead. We're making some steps. But I think the pathway that I see being lit 
is by Florida, is a big leader, Louisiana, and up in the Northeast. Some of the Northeast mm-hmm. states are really uh, getting out ahead of the issue. So uh, we're all going to learn from each other. I think we're going to have to watch and learn from each other. Can I jump in here uh, just because I have a kind of a general observation I'd love, just love to get your thoughts on? And that is... Um, so, you know, we've, we, we follow uh, the, the nation's coastal news very closely, and um, that includes uh, what's going on right in Maine with the lobster fishermen and uh, the situation with Canada and the North Atlantic white, right whale. Uh, and, uh, we, of course, we follow Florida, we follow Louisiana, we follow everywhere, uh, for that matter. And everywhere has uh, problems, including right here in Charleston. Um, and one of the things that I think is interesting is the notion of resiliency for a long time to me when we'd go to conferences it was about uh, designing with nature. It was about like building things or moving or um, physical our physical relationship with a space. And it seems like what I'm what I'm getting so far here at the Social Coast Forum is not only is resiliency a social construction, but it is a state of mind. It's a pliability. It's a willingness to relate to the future in a way that says it, it will be a little different, but, and I'm okay with that. We will, I will be resilient. I will adapt and overcome. And I'm just curious to know as a, as a leader of the, you know, the federal government known for being, let's be real here, a little clunky, a little slow to maneuver. <laughs> um, how, how do you man, like, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, I'm just curious to know, like, is it, first of all, I'm, I'm interested in morale in the department, pers- you know, first of all, because I think changes will come. And I'm also interested in how, you and your team um, are working to help people digest uh, th- this, come come to this this mental state, if you will, um, in a, in a way that's positive and productive. There's a lot to unpack there. So there are conferences about green infrastructure and building things and um, geospatial information and and NOS hosts and and is sponsored to a lot of these. This conference is highlighting a a different aspect of resilience, which has to do with, with humans and our ability to cope and process information and not just the communities themselves, but the practitioners. You know, I just listened to a talk on the Adaptive Mind Project that's being uh, uh, in part uh, run by a woman at the Tijuana National Estuarine Research Reserve, which is someone we work with very closely. And, you know, her and her colleagues' concerns are born out of the toll that it takes on practitioners to sit down with people every day and say, it's kind of bad, you know, and and to absorb their reactions. And yeah. if you're, you know, th- this is the ideal community for sure. These are uh, these are scientists, and they're they're doing their work. But these are feeling people. These are feelers, right? And so you put them out there delivering bad news over and over again, and trying to reframe that bad news over and over again, and it takes a real public or a real pr- a personal toll on them. You know, um, I was uh, in a job interview not that recently for the position that um, I'm acting in right now. 
And I was asked in one word. Of course, I knew I wasn't going to like this question. <laughs> in one word. That's, a, that's always a bad start. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what is What, in your mind, it will be the difference between a good leader of NOS and a great one? Hmm. Hmm. Jeez. And I probably thought this is this is just going to blurt out. And I said what first comes to my mind, right? And the word was empathy. Huh. NOS wow. is full of technical experts, and they are the bathymetrists, and that's not even a word. They are the bathymetry people, and they're <laughs> the geodesists and everything else. But they're such feelers, and they're so in tune with their partnerships and their collaborations and um, the communities that I – I think that's going to be a, a challenge for me as a leader is to keep morale up, keep people feeling resilient themselves, and help them continuing to think positively about the future and wow. their role in it. Yeah. That'll be a challenge. That's a legitimate objective in a leadership position, I think. And on this in particular, um, the shop talk around climate change in the coastal world, if you're, you know, at the bar at an event or, you know, you're talking to people who do it, uh, there's some fear that's involved in how people are seeing what's happening. If they're pay- and, and these are the people that pay attention to the data. They know what the truth is. They're seeing the ramifications. And it's an emotional challenge to then, as you say, to rise above that, to care for yourself and to bring that empathy into the discussion, I have to say that it is not lost on me that the folks who have put this event together, that there are a lot of women in the top of this discussion (laughs) who are focused on the relationships involved, the importance of community relationships, the importance of collaboration. It's a dimension to coastal management that I think is absolutely necessary and it seems new to me is that your experience i would say that i'm relatively new to coastal coastal zone management um of not relatively new to being a woman but um (laughs) that's always been the case but i i do think that there is something powerful in uh, women sim- seem, in my mind, to have more of a, a permeable membrane between their analytical side and their feeling side. We definitely have analytical minds. Sure. Women are engineers, et cetera, et cetera, um, astronauts. Um, but we don't necessarily disconnect our feeling side from those things. And uh, my husband has said to me that sometimes I hemorrhage empathy and that that might over time not be good for my resilience. And so keeping that in check, I think, is very important. But disconnecting from it makes our jobs almost impossible. Yeah. Because this is a feeling thing. I mean, you know, we we and I mean this in the most affectionate, uh, respectful term. I've told my team this, you know, we at the National Ocean Service, we pedal place. Hmm. We say, you protect that National Marine Sanctuary. You go to it. You visit it. You pick up the trash. That's your beach, right? That's right. that's the place to love and the bird that's there and the whale and all that. Those places are changing. And so that doesn't mean we stop valuing place, but it might mean that we need to be more responsible huh. about the sense of loss of place as we are Man. peddling place. And I think that's fair, but I do think it's the next way. It's not just we're going to put a wall around it and it'll be there forever. Right. It's different. That's along the line, Todd, I think a little bit of what you're getting at in in, in, in terms of seeing the, the, this this change in conception that's underway. Um 
this sense of place and identity, which is so ingrained in people on the coast and why maneuvering communities or talking about retreat is such a gut-wrenching discussion. Al de Jean Charles in the, in the Mississippi Delta, that the effort it has taken to just think about putting that community in a, in a safer location is gut-wrenching and difficult. This sense of place issue, it just seems... What an interesting thing to think about every day in your job is how do you approach us? What is that like? It just seems what a cool cutting edge thing to have to contemplate and then execute through this federal instrument that you have. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful experience. It's a wonderful challenge. Um, whether we're, we're developing a nautical chart or deciding which coral reefs to restore, it is about a place and the place changes and our tools will need to adapt to that. Uh, but I think that the, there's going to have to be a finer look at that balance between we have to protect this place. You know, what, what if we develop a marine protected area around uh, an assemblage of species that are particularly important, right? I'm just making mm-hmm. this up. Mm-hmm. And then those species move out of that place. Right. That's happening. That's happening. And so do we take another five, six, ten years to develop a different place to put? Those are real questions that we're having to uh, ask ourselves. We're making choices about which coral reefs to restore in Florida right now in the reef track. And I was on Capitol Hill just a couple of weeks ago briefing, you know, uh, members and staff on the project or some some of the aspects of the project. And very smart young staffer said... So are you modeling future conditions? Will those coral reefs that you are restoring be alive in 50 years? Yeah. What a great question. Yeah. We are tough one. We are carving that turkey with a butter knife right now, doing the very best we can to identify the species of corals that are most tolerant to heat change, most tolerant to ocean acidification. Right. But there's only so much we can do in that regard. Um, But if we don't seek to identify what are called iconic coral reefs that people can relate to and can get behind those restoration projects, we've lost the public. Wow. So it's worth it to try, right? It's worth it to try and continue to connect people to place and to say this coral head's important because it's a thousand years old. So I'm yeah. gonna, I'm just going to say, and this is a thing that and I, I, I hear this a lot, and we all do, and I've worked in the state agencies, but the, when people talk about bureaucrats, it really pisses me off, if you don't mind <laughs> me being, as if that there isn't a serious level of commitment going on, and, and, and this is one of the things I like to do, is introduce people to the NOAA professionals, because across the board... The quality of the folks that are engaged in this is super high. I mean, they're just pros. And 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 so for the listeners out there, if you're ever wondering when someone says, you know, those federal bureaucrats, just stop them and say, would you go listen to some of these people? Because it's really important what they do. And I just wanted to, I, it, it means a lot to me, that, that the hard work that, because the questions are so complicated and the sensitivity of, of what you're doing and what you're trying to consider is is absolutely top notch. I mean, it's it's really just not turning the crank and okay, we're going to throw out some restoration deal and whatever. It's really about the the spirit of this is so key, and it's great to hear it. Noah is widely known as very mission driven. The workforce is very very dedicated across the Noah organizations and. One of the most rewarding uh, 
conversations that I have with new hires coming into NOS, or maybe it's an intern, you know, coming in for a short period of time, is the refrain, I've always wanted to work at NOAA. Yeah. And I love that because then it's like, that's right. That's right. I do work at <laughs> NOAA. And thank you for coming. And how many more of you can we bring along? Because uh, we are very mission driven. And uh, I'm a proud bureaucrat. I'm a proud public servant. And right. I, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, I have been known in my former life as a regulator in saying there's a form for that um, as a means of, of telling people to Take a, take a breath and mm-hmm. don't go off half-cocked, um, but do it the right way. And um, I'm just very proud to still be in the game and to have an opportunity to do something that can have real so- societal positive impacts. Way to go. Ladies and gentlemen, Nicole LaBeouf, who is the Acting Administrator of the National Ocean Service and one of the dedicated professionals who put their feet on the ground every day and try to do something with this complex challenge ahead of us on the American shoreline, Thank you so much for taking time from your conference schedule to join us on the American Shoreline Podcast. It was a real privilege. Thank you so much.